I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Jason Hoff, a writer and editor living in Brooklyn, New York. His previous works have been featured in Hello, Mister! and Warm Brothers magazines. He is the author of two novellas, Love Case and Locked Up Boy. His latest work, Bent Book, is a queer-themed anthology and is available now. Proceeds from Bent Book go to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute and the Audre Lorde Project. Jason Half contributed poetry to Rendering Unconscious the Book, Rendering Unconscious Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, 2019, available from Trapart Books. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can follow Jason Hoff at Hoffwit on Instagram. That's H-A-A-F-W-I-T. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l your support is greatly appreciated this podcast is also available at youtube where you can watch this discussion and see a transcription of the conversation. When I originally thought of Bent Book, I wanted to put, which was last, it was not last January, or this past January, which seems like eight years ago. But I wanted to basically put together like a queer anthology, because I just sort of felt it was lacking a little bit right now. Um, I I don't really know of like any really popular like queer journals outside of like zines maybe. Um, so I wanted to just try and put something together. That was in January. So then I just sort of put out um, a call for like submissions to get everything in by late April. So I had like quite a bit in like the first couple of months um and then in mid-march that's when covid like really hit new york um and really like the u.s uh and that sort of in a way it gave me more time to put it together at home um because i wasn't going to be working um it did sort of slow down the submission process because i think everything really, especially in New York, it just felt like it was very much in like disarray. Um, So I also didn't want to like, like I called for the submissions, but I didn't want to drill it because I knew everyone was sort of kind of figuring out what they're going to do for a living, really. And this is also like before stimulus checks and like any of that. So it was basically everyone just like, I'm unemployed. But it did give me more time to read everyone's entries a lot more and like spend time with it, which I was grateful for. Um, 
I also, I bought a typewriter. It was like a vintage typewriter from 1975. So I hand typed everything. So I like really got to know it. I felt like each story I was sort of like inside because I was forced to spend so much time with it. One, being at home, two, typing it. Um, which kind of like I had to get to know my own anxiety with a typewriter because it's it's different. Like if you make a mistake, you just make a mistake. Um, so that was in March. Then I I got together as much as I, I felt like I needed at that time, especially like lengthwise. Uh, so then it went to print the last week of May, um, which was also the week that George Floyd was murdered. So then it's like the world changed again um, after that. And then I, I had already planned to donate the funds uh, or the profits from Bent Book. Um, I was already going to donate them to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, um, which benefits black trans women. And after the Black Lives Movement really blew up this time, then it just felt, it felt like more important to do that. And it just, I, in the beginning, I was kind of like, should I, should I put this out right now? Is this the right time? Like, I, I was questioning, not my motive with it, but like my execution with it. Um, but then I ultimately was like, wait a second, if I can sell this and donate money, that's the point of this. So um, I split, all of the proceeds between uh, Marsha P. Johnson Institute and the Audrey uh, Lord Project. So then that's almost like what it sort of became. It, it was helping me raise money. So it's sort of like the journey of Pent Book, which went from like, I was staying at a, a hotel in upstate when I thought of it, which was like this quiet sort of like secluded world. And then like COVID, and then the Black Lives Movement really took charge in a way that it hadn't before. So it was like that book was changing with everything else. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of like been on its own journey. I love it. Well, and it's bent book, so it kind of yeah. makes sense that the journey's been, been yeah. bent. And I love that even the envelope you oh, sent it in is typed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i wanted to like really um use that typewriter <laughs> as best i could have you tried doing any like stream of consciousness typing no oh. <laughs> i mean i could i should you should try um, it yeah yeah who huh, do you think of when you think of uh queer writers typing away in a room I don't know. I had this like weird visual of, I don't know. I, I, I pictured someone who I guess like resembled like a gay man in like the fifties in this sort of like bare room typing. And the weird thing is like, so now we're going on like stream of consciousness here. <laughs> um, I 
I used to work at this hotel called The Colony in Florida, and they have a location in uh, Kennebunkport, Maine. And I stayed there, this was like 10, 15 years ago, and I, I stayed there to do, I guess I was doing something in accounting, but my room was like, it was really pretty, it overlooked the ocean, it had super like old wallpaper, and everything was wooden, and it had this old wooden desk, and I took... This is like before selfies were even a thing, which is funny. But I took like a picture of myself at the desk. And I think that's the image that it just like stayed in my brain. So then I just, in my head, I kind of just put a typewriter in front of it. So that's what I was sort of picturing when I was making it. I love that. That's perfect. When I was yeah. still in New York, I used to take the train upstate and go stay in this like collective that like grew herbs like it was like a lavender farm kind of communal collective you could like airbnb rooms there for like 40 dollars a night mm-hmm. and uh it was amazing you could see the stars and i have like a portable typewriter so it was like lug my portable typewriter up there and like turn everything off and just do like stream of consciousness typing hmm. that would be cool to do with the sound i feel like the sound combined with the stream of consciousness thing would be that would be different. Totally. Huh. I love the yeah. typewriter sound. But yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah. When you write on a typewriter. <laughs> and with that book, what I had to do, well, actually, Kyle, my husband, he's the one who really did it. But any mistake that I made, I, I didn't go back like whiteout or anything. We had to fix it in Photoshop. <laughs> So he actually played like a really big part in the in the layout of it because there's a lot to fix. And my my typing was fun, like it was all right. But um, as far as like just like correcting everything, getting all the margins in place, that was all through Photoshop. So it's like fixing like a period would take like two minutes as opposed to two seconds. Having to retype the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. When I was in high school, I actually did my papers on a typewriter. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm like the I last like generation. I'm like just that, that much older, that age, where like I had like a word processing typewriter where like it could save like a line before the line came out, but that was about it. Huh. I had like yeah. a rich friend who had a, te- who had a computer and it had AOL and we used to like go in chat rooms and it was like 99 cents a minute. <laughs> Those were the days. And her dad used to always get very mad at us <laughs> for being in the chat rooms for 99 cents a minute. Did you want to tell me about some of the authors in your book? Yeah. Um, I mean, they sort of, um, they come from all, all over. I mean, there's a few from Brooklyn um, and New York. Uh, I also wanted, I wanted Bent Book to be... I wanted the content to be diverse. Um, some of the poetry reads like more traditional poetry. Some of it does not. Um, but yeah, the authors, I mean, there's an author who's like an LGBT uh, educator that lives in India. Um, some in New York. Um, one of them I knew in college, uh, and we hadn't really, I mean, I guess we've been following each other at some point on social media, um, 
but he wrote the piece uh, called Florida Possessions, which I really liked because I wanted a little bit of Florida in there too. Um, so I wanted to like get some geography in there. Um, and the roots. But yeah, I mean, it was really nice getting the submissions and being able to share other people's words um, that I know for myself as a writer, like I don't, I don't really know like where to go with it because I don't really know where <laughs> or what is going to publish words that are very queer or very sexual or just like raw. Um, so I was happy to just sort of provide a place for that. Uncensored. Right. I, I think that's like the biggest thing. And that's sort of like, that was my aim with it. I did want it uncensored. And I mean, the one piece, it's called um, Fisher's, Fisher's, ah, pronouncing that word. Um, it's by this author, uh, Justin Dewey. To me, it reads almost like, it reads almost like a call to arms about, uh, it's basically, it's about sexual assault. But the way that it reads is like, it reminds me of something that you would read from like the 70s or something. And I purposely did not make the punctuation perfect. And I wanted it kind of rambling. Um, and I wanted it like a little bit messy. And I don't, I don't know like really of an example where you can kind of like do that without having like an editor that might be trying to either tone it down a little bit or um, make it like quote unquote correct. So, I mean, there was like a bit of editing that I did, but a lot of it I wanted, I, I just didn't see something as like right or wrong and I wanted it to feel sort of like free, I guess. Yeah, I know, I really feel like, well, of course censorship, but just to over editing in general, editing in general, especially over editing, I just feel like the best art and writing is not edited much. It's just like, that's why I love like stream of consciousness and that's why I love the cut-ups and just, that's why I love making art like in a day and just like getting it out. Cause I feel yeah. like the raw emotions, the raw self is uh, so much more interesting. And I think that's what really gets people attracted to work. And like, speaking of like, you know, queer writers or typewriters, like the beats, that's what they were all about was like, yeah. just getting, getting it out of them. Uh, Jack Kerouac with his like, endless role of writing and then Burroughs, of course, cutting everything up and just throwing pages around the room. And then they just assembled it like, however, because they didn't really know how the book went. You know? Yeah. Well, it's like funny is like, now that I'm thinking about Pampo, I'm like, okay, taking out like everything that's been especially going on in the United States. But I was like, where was I <laughs> mentally when I started like thinking of this? And I was reading a lot of um, John Rishi who wrote City of Night, which is like, I, I didn't know of him beforehand. Um, I've since gotten one of his quotes tattooed. <laughs> so, oh, that um, is nice. But City of Night really was like the first, graphic novel about like queer life and he took it from his own life um 
about the New York underground, whether it was with like gay men or drag queens, um, drug users, it was, no one had really written about that in an uncensored way. Um, and I just kind of attached to that time. Um, it was easy to picture. And then it's like, you forget that like, there really, there wasn't other work out um, detailing that. Uh, so he was like a pretty big inspiration. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have to link to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know. And all of this, like, that's the thing that's so amazing now with the internet and how accessible everything is. Um, is that like all of this was really hard to find really not that long ago and you really couldn't find anything written and it was censored or illegal mm -hmm. considered pornography. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then I also, I like earlier in the year, I just developed this like weird relationship with things in the seventies, <laughs> um, whether it was like the typewriter or like, John Rishi novel, and then I started watching like, uh, like early Martin Scorsese movies, and there is just something, or like John Cassavetes, and there's just something like during that time that like I really connected to, and it was this sort of like everything for that to me like during that ten year period, kind of felt more like a documentary or like a documentary style or it was just like a little bit more gritty or if you watch like a film it's like the actresses like whether like Ellen Burstyn for an example or Gina Rollins they didn't have like perfect hair and makeup and they were made to look more like everyday people and like messy and sloppy and so there's something about the sort of like the grittiness of it. And then, but then when I think of like the eighties <laughs> in large part, when everything became costume, when it was just like, like hair, makeup, clothes, shoulders, um, it sort of was like the antithesis of that. So that was, I don't know, that's just a constant, I guess, inspiration for me. Nice. Yeah. And it's also, I don't know, whenever I think of the seventies New York, it's like, before New York got totally like gentrified and sanitized and like that started really in the 80s mm -hmm. and the same people that did that to New York are now screwing up the whole country yeah <laughs> basically yeah well yeah and it was just like whether it was like closing down like queer safe places or clubs or like movie theaters um, and it was like sort of Disney-fying it. Um, and like the whole Reagan era, which was like pretty awful and like sanitizing everything. It, it, it's, you're right. Yeah. And then it's sort of a weird mirror of that time, which sucks. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. And I saw Jerm Lynn is in the book too. You know, yeah, I yeah, love yeah, Jerm. Yeah. yeah. They, um, there are poems I thought resembled the 70s a bit too. Um, 
their haikus. Like they are short, but there's something that look a little bit violent to them. And they're pretty raw um, with like a little bit of humor. Uh, so I was happy to have them too. Yeah, they're very witty. And Jones mm-hmm. from Florida too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk yeah. about Florida? You wrote a letter to Florida, I saw. I did, and Jerm replied to it. Oh, yeah? Well, (laughs) posted a comment, yeah. Uh, Yeah, they said, like, yeah, it's it's hard to call home right now. Um, I know. I think I I saw really bad statistics today, and I thought, I never thought I would be sad, like, miss the days when Florida man was just, like, bringing baby alligators to Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) Which now I'm Florida sure man is doing, doing so much worse. <laughs> he's still doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That will never end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have your Manchester Parish series. Yeah, so that's a whole world of cut up. So um, after I was basically done with Bent Book, uh, again, because of everything going on with race right now and Black Lives Matter and how white people are treating it or not treating it. And I started thinking about like whiteness or white privilege and my own relationship with race. And I started thinking about my family's background. Uh, My dad's side of the family is from Jamaica. um, And our family has like always identified as white, um, especially visually. Uh, But a couple of years ago, I took the Ancestry DNA test um, and it it came back um, that I had like 15% African heritage. Which would mean that my grandmother was definitely mixed. And then that set me off on a lot of research and also a lot of research involving passing. And I think that is something that was definitely never talked about um, in my family and going and looking at immigration logs, uh, the, you know, census records. um, And it wasn't until the 30s really that my dad's side of the family was um, listed as white. Anything beforehand around like 1920, everyone was um, logged as black, uh, African or Negro. So that really changes the entire history and what you thought your history was. Uh, Because before that, I was told uh, that we were Native American and German, uh, which is that we both came up basically like 0% on the ancestry um, results. So anyways, I started thinking about that and I started thinking about that complicated relationship and how when I was addressing that uh, with my father, I did have like sort of hesitance with it but I had hesitance with it because I know that racism existed in, within my family. Um, 
and within his mother, who she's passed away since, but she was of mixed race and her parents were of mixed, both of them were of mixed race. And yet I remember, you know, racist things that were said. So it was like broaching that was a big thing that I had to do. Um, so I wanted to go back and I logged back into Ancestry and I pulled up all of the pictures um, of her cousins, her aunts, her uncle, her father, um, her mother, uh, and grandmother. So I took all of them and I basically cut them all up. And I, didn't, was, I really wasn't sure why I was doing this, but I wanted to take them and their image and then also my writing, um, which is very queer, and I wanted to combine them. And I, I thought of, the only thing that I had going through my mind was how race is often hushed upon, queerness is often hushed upon, um, and I wanted to just combine those and see what would happen. So I cut everything up and I started laying it out in my living room and kind of a really jarring thing happened the first time that I did it, everything, it's like it was spelling out rape. Like it was one of the pictures, which was like a great, great um, aunt of mine who was mixed race has said like, um, like, I took a hanger and everything ended well. Um, one was talking about like feeling shame, looking into the mirror. Another one on another woman's it said, um, a crowd of men uh, formed around me. Like everything seemed violent. And I, I, almost, I did like stop like at some point cause I really felt like something was like coming through a little bit. Like I, I almost felt like something was trying to like tell me something. And then I thought of the mixed race in my family and I thought of slavery in Jamaica um, like during the 1800s and how rape is a part of that. Um, so I felt like it was, something was like coming through a little bit. And I just thought about this mixture of like sex and violence and race. Um, and how my family <laughs> is literally, I mean, and so like so many other families, but like my family is a direct result of those three things. And I'm a direct result of those three things. So I wanted to like get its due. And then what I also realized was I think why these images felt very heavy was if you even look at like a person of mixed race, or a person of color, without even words on it, I feel like there's just so much more context. So if you have this added context and then you put like heavy queer words on top of that, it just, it felt very strong. So I basically, I got all of these cutups um, printed um, and, I named it Manchester Parish because that's where 
my family sort of from Jamaica originated from. Um, I believe going back to like the 1700s, they eventually, I think, went to Kingston, but it's sort of like all this mixture, as far back as I can research, started in Manchester Parish. Um, so I wanted to do this as like, like an ode to them in a way, because I think there's a lot that's been forgotten and not shared. And I think not purposely shared, especially from the elders. Um, and then I think about the subject of passing in the United States. And yeah, if there was a cousin who was identifying as black that didn't have um, the choice to even pass as white, I don't know about them. And I found out about them through ancestry and through other people and through emailing um, and talking to other relatives that have basically been saying the same thing. So it, I, that's been like my own process. And then I also am donating, <laughs> I'm donating everything from the Manchester Parish um, prints to this place called House of Gigi. Um, which is in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was founded by uh, Miss Major Griffin Gracie, who is um, a black trans activist who's had like quite a bit of fame, but it's also the only um, sort of historical uh, establishment that's dedicated to trans people. And it's in the South. And I think that's where <laughs> The money should go especially because it's in arkansas so i that was another thing of like kind of combining what's going on right now with my own art and hopefully being helpful with it that's amazing jason thank you for sharing that yeah, I'm, really, I'm sure that was an earful that's amazing and i really think that i think that's so important right now though and that you like doing this personal journey and like looking into your personal ancestry because look, look at all of these things you discover and all of those lines you know there's like so much trauma in all of our heritages and mm -hmm. I feel like going back and like like you said it seems like it's like speaking or what the ancestors want this to be known you know it's like part mm -hmm. of them being heard you know yeah and like I think that's the only way so much especially in the states has been erased either intentionally or for like reasons because people were trying to survive or whatever. And, um, you know, it needs to, it needs to come up. I, I can't help but like think of this whole moment, like very psychoanalytically and think of it as like, you know, when an individual has symptoms, you know, first the symptom is like a little like, Hey, something's going on. And you're just kind of like, no, no, you just keep going, keep surviving. And eventually it just like hits you in the face and it's like, you have to stop and figure out what's going on because things aren't right. <laughs> so you have to like pay attention and like learn about yourself and listen to yourself so you can like move forward in a healthier new way. And I feel like we all have to do that like collectively and by mm -hmm. looking into our individual lines that can help heal those kind of uh, trauma lines, at least these small ones while we work on like the greater collective. And like maybe helping the small if there's enough people helping those small lines, maybe that will open up or hope, like, I don't see how it couldn't open up to something bigger um, because there's a lot of those small little lines and everyone has them.
Yeah, and that's how like uh, my friend Langston, Langston Khan, uh, who's also queer and black, uh, mixed race, and uh, he also talks about from a shamanic perspective that's really what it's all about is kind of healing the ancestors trauma and like looking at it and healing it within yourself because we're all still carrying it so it's like taking a more um holistic view of the situation and working with it in a different way rather than just like the mainstream white western worldview Mm -hmm. that's like been placed upon everybody Mm -hmm. I've also been on an ancestry journey. <laughs> um, Caitlin, you know, Caitlin, and uh, she did she did the paintings for um, two decks with um, this wonderful author, artist, div- diviner, wonderful woman, uh, Tiana Lee McQuiller. And uh, Tiana did a Sybil's Oraculum deck, which Caitlin did the paintings for, which is all about... Um, how the Sibyls were like from Africa and basically all the oracles in ancient times were African and she wanted them to have more uh, recognition basically. And then the the more recent deck is the Hoodoo Tarot. So it's like a lot of Hoodoo practitioners and um, uh, she does ancestor readings with the Hoodoo Tarot to kind of help you if there's any ancestors in your life. I've seen your post on that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so if there's any ancestors in your line, she can kind of help use that tarot to like see what they're trying to say or like some if somebody's trying to get your attention to work with you. And I mm-hmm. found it really amazing. And after having the reading with her, um, I reopened my Ancestry.com account too. And it's just been like, it's amazing all the photos that are in there, finding all these old photos and like articles, like my great grandparents died in a fire and you found like the, I found the articles about the fire in there and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's sort of, um, it reframes a lot. Yeah, exactly. And it make, it just like makes things make a bit more sense from what also I was told <laughs> growing up. Yeah, also from like what you're told, but I think, I mean, from my perspective at least, it also like explains behavior (laughs) like it explains a lot of behavior and I think on that side of my family something that I've always discussed is there's always just been a lot of secrecy like secrecy is it's like part it's like almost tangible like it's and I I think now like really looking back um yeah i see why there would be secrecy if you are writing out (laughs) your history Mm -hmm. like your entire sort of like being in an everyday world if you are passing is secrecy so i for me it was like i think that behavioral trait like just kind of kept getting passed on um until you know the ancestry dna for like all of like what it is it really did kind of like blow the lid off quite a few things and it is also like reframing people's histories and what i really like about it is um it's doing it with like uh data and i think like that is 
if you're trying to bring like receipts to someone, <laughs> that's the best way to do it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I've noticed a lot of people have been told this, like we have Native Native American ancestors in America. And mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that. That might be like some sort of like guilt, guilt where people are trying to like be like, oh, well, they're in our family too. We're not the people that massacred everyone. I don't know. It seems like some sort of white guilt yeah. thing. I'm not yeah. Sure. Yeah. What? It was funny. I mean, was I all I grew up always believing that I had Native American ancestry. I mean, I, I remember for like school projects, I would like present it to the class. I mean, in fourth grade, I remember doing a presentation saying that I was from the Creek and the Cherokee like tribes when none of it, like in actuality none of it was true. And like, the funny thing is, is that after Ancestry, well, then I thought about it. Um, if my family didn't even come to the United States until the 30s, how were we Native American? Like, we weren't even here to be Native American. So it was, um, yeah, it really mm -hmm. does reframe quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I find it really interesting that it's all kind of, that we're getting all this information at this point in history um, so that people can kind of have these reckonings. Um, yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. I think that's amazing work. So thank you for well, sharing. thank you. And I bought four of the Manchester Parish. They're on their way. <laughs> because what I'm going to do, they are so powerful though, that when I re read them, I was like, these are incredible. Incredible, like they are incredible cut-ups with the photos of your ancestors, which are incredible photos of like such beautiful people, and uh, yeah, they're just incredible. So I'm gonna keep one perfectly preserved, and then I'm gonna put the other sets in my cut-ups. So then your cool. your cut-ups oh, gonna be in so my cool. cut-ups now. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, and I had the same idea. Uh, I started saving the pictures from Ancestry.com on my desktop so that I could start printing out pictures of my ancestors and putting them into the collages as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a way to like keep them alive, but then also give them new meaning um, and power too. Yeah, exactly. And I love old in images, vintage images anyway. So it's like it, they might as well have this kind of extra charge personal meaning. Mm -hmm. I've also built an ancestor altar all the way back in that corner of the room Ooh. where I've been hanging up Carl's and my ancestors, both family members and then like friends that have passed away. Um, that's cool. And that's been really nice too to have a place for them in the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I do too. <laughs> Was there anything else you want to talk about? Last time we talked about Love Case, should we give it a mention? <laughs> I don't think I, I don't know if I have any left. Oh, they got um, That's cool. Yeah, uh, well, I think I have, I have like two or three left. I mean, I could always reprint them, but yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like I did Love Case in 2018. And then last year I did this project called Locked Up Boy, which was basically just my journal. Um, and the artist Zach Greer, hand wrote like hand wrote them so it was like this weird like transfer of information to him that went to the page that I was really into mm. um and now I have bent book which is like featuring 
others. Um, and I, I like that I've, I'm choosing to sort of go that route to like have other voices um, get out there or just like be in the open. I like this idea of helping putting other people's voices out into the world. Um, it, it's very, it's like very satisfying. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. And you were in rendering. Yeah, yeah, which is also featuring a bunch of voices too. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. Even the podcast, it's like a bunch of different voices. And I like that we have the tools that we can do that and that we can print these kinds of things or put them online and not have to go through these kind of middlemen who decide what's the editors of the world's culture who decide what's worthy and what's going to go out there and in what form. I feel like right. we're getting to see so much, how much more interesting people are than we've been seeing for a long time and how much mm -hmm. diversity there is and how creative people are and weird. I love how weird everyone is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me too. Nice. Oh, cool. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. I love my vent book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it looks nice. It's really nice. Who did the cover? Oh, so Melissa Diaz. Oh, <laughs> did the of course cover. it's Melissa. Yeah, but like she actually didn't do the cover. She had that, she like had some strokes of paint that she had on a piece of paper that she had up in her apartment for like three years or something. And then I saw them last spring and I was like, hey, can I take this? And she was like, yeah, it's sort of just been sitting here. So then I, I that's the cover. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but she's so genius that way. Mm -hmm. I have to thank Melissa because when we all lived together and I was mm -hmm. stressed out, she was like, here, make art. And she like put paints in my hand. <laughs> and even though my mom was an artist and all my friends were artists and I always love artists, I never really like let myself be an artist. And then Melissa like put these paints in my hand. And she was like, this will help. And I started just going like swirls and doing nothing with it. And I'm like, this mm -hmm. does help. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. And I've been doing yeah. it ever since. So thank you, Melissa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have a lot to thank her for, too. Yeah, she's a treat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, oh, last thing, though. If anyone wanted to purchase Bentbook or Manchester Parish, they could either uh, go to it's bentbook.bigcartel.com or you just go through my, my Instagram page, which is just Hoffwit. Yeah, I will link to everything. And okay, I'll cool. also put um, those foundations, links to them, yeah. so people can see what they are, because they all sound really amazing. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Jason Hoff, a writer and editor living in Brooklyn, New York. His latest work, Bent Book, as well as the Manchester Parish series, are available now. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Follow him on Instagram at Hoffwit, H-A-A-F-W-I-T, on Instagram.
You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a two three c-a-r-l. Your support is greatly appreciated. Fetishize Immediacy from the just-released album Switching Mirrors, available from Highbrow Lowlife and Tripart Editions. further. Mm-hmm. 